Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're talking to Oliver, the founder of Carbon Delta. We're going to talk about sustainability, what financial services and finance can do in this space, how he grew his business, what was it like to sell it to MSCI and be part of the MSCI group right now. So I'm very curious to find out more about these topics. So welcome, Oliver. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you very much. All right. So, Oliver, can you tell us a bit about yourself? A lot of people know you, but for the ones who you know don't, what would you say are the key couple of things which led you to where you are today? I think it's a combination of things, specifically two aspects in, in, in my past professional life. So I'm a computer scientist by training. I come from Germany and studied computer science in my hometown, Bonn, Germany. Came to Switzerland to get a PhD in computer science at, at ETH. And I had always worked in the interface between computer science and meteorology. So I spent a great part of my professional life working on weather forecasting models. Now, weather services are slow organizations, maybe the the opposite of startups. So it was more by chance almost that I left meteorology and went into the financial industry. Now, I was a little bit of an environmental guy from a very young age. When I was 14, for example, I decided that I never want to buy a car. It was a very early decision. And when the concept of the carbon bubble came up, which is a socioeconomic theory around climate change and the possible overpricing of oil, coal, and gas companies, uh, when that became popular, I had immediately decided that I had uh, the physical, atmospheric, climate change background, and also some insight into the financial industry. I had worked for an asset manager for 10 years at the time. And really, that combination led me to think about the idea of creating a carbon bubble company that would calculate climate risks, not as a macroeconomic effect, but on a company issuer level. And that, that was the idea of Carbon Delta. And yeah, that's how I came to starting that company. All right. You started to talk about the problem and you know why you started the Carbon Delta. But let's just maybe start from the first angle. Why you wanted to be your own boss? Why your own company? Is this because of the problem that nobody was sorting it out? Or is that something else? Why, why did you want to be an entrepreneur? I'd been wanting to work on the climate change issue for sure. And mm-hmm. there aren't that many jobs in climate change yet, although it's a big topic and there are many companies that work on climate change, and maybe that's changing now. But 10 years from now, if you were looking for a job in climate change, I think the number of positions was very limited. I do like the whole idea of starting something new. It's a very exciting time. And I felt like I had an interesting 
set of past experiences around technology, business processes. Yeah, and I like to I like the organizational element of setting up a company. How exactly do we do this? How do we run meetings? What's the best tool to very efficiently manage finances in the very beginning? And I'm a, a total fan, which is strange for a computer scientist of uh, Microsoft Excel and building a very ad hoc, fast, semi-automated versions of organizational elements in, in Microsoft Excel. Yeah, it was a combination of these all these things. It reminds me of that slogan they use in the UK on the mugs as well, keep calm and carry on. And there is a version which says, keep calm and hire yourself. So back then there were no opportunities. You created uh, your, your own opportunities. So that's great. So what is Carbon Delta? What is the problem that you're solving specifically? So if you're an asset manager today and you're thinking rightly that climate change is one of the major concerns that you should look at. And if you want to know how does this affect the assets that I'm managing, then there's surprisingly very little data on that issue available. I would say when we started Carbon Delta five years ago, there was practically no data that went beyond carbon footprinting. And carbon footprinting is great. It shows you the impact of your portfolio onto climate change. But what it doesn't do is what we need, and that is as an asset manager, and that is the reverse. We want to know what is the impact of climate change onto the valuation of the portfolio. That is what you really want to know. And around that issue, there's absolutely no data available. And while we were building carbon data, there was a major initiative that became very popular and is is extremely well known today. It's called the TCFD, named after the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And it's basically the G20 countries telling corporations and financial institutions what to report on climate change. And those recommendations are so in line with what Carbon Delta was doing, that was really a huge boost. And to this day is a, is a framework that's really important in the context of, of our data. All right. But if I'm an asset manager, then what does the Carbon Delta provide to me? You can. It's a very broad set of metrics, literally hundreds of metrics. So what you can do is you can choose a scenario that you believe in is the most likely scenario related to climate change. You can choose different pathways, you can choose different models, and you can then run your portfolio and you can get analytics on the uh, impact and the risk of your portfolio, how it's distributed among the different sectors, how it's distributed among the different companies and the different uh, regions in the world. And you can then drill down into your portfolio and see where does the risk come from, what uh, aspects of risks are most important, which physical risk hazard, which extreme weather event is most important, and go into this whole data discovery around climate change in your portfolio. And then, of course, you can set targets, you can do marketing, you can engage with the issuers that are in your portfolio, you can do all of the things that you would typically do in asset management, but just focused on climate change. All right. So the asset managers get basically risk flags from from you, depending on different scenarios, obviously related to climate change, right? Yes. Okay. But the performance and all that's they need to you say, I have 50% of my equities in this region, in this sort of industry. 
this is the risk, but is it going to mean that, or will this mean that, that they need to cut down on dividends and things like this from the year 2023 or something like this? That's up to the portfolio managers and the analysts to figure out, right? Yes, although with MSCI now being the major player in the index business in our industry, obviously we have vast amounts of performance data available. And I think I would like to uh, mention two things. One is that as a general rule of thumb, I think it's uh, fair to say that over the last five years, climate indices have performed better than their their broad index neutral counterparts. The second uh, thing is we have just published a paper called uh, Foundations of Climate Investing. And one of the results of that paper that my colleague Guido Giza wrote is that uh, the pricing of climate change has really picked up over the last uh, two years. And it's picked up mostly in the developed markets. And I think what that tells you is that I think moving forward, this question of what does climate change mean in terms of future performance of my portfolio is becoming of increasing complexity and of increasing importance. All right. But what you say is within the MSCI family of indices and resources and research, there you could get the help there as well and uh, tackle this com- you know, complexities, right? Yes. Okay. So... If we go back to day one, because now, obviously, you've been doing this for a few years, but how was it at the very beginning? What were your very first steps? If somebody was you know, listening to this and they said, I also have an idea, I'd like to do it, how to get going in a way that it makes sense? Yeah. I spoke to somebody else on a, on a podcast and he said, you need to talk to potential clients, business partners, don't talk to your friends and definitely don't talk to your mother. What was, the, what was your approach? I, I would say, although... It, Carbon Delta was a success in terms of implementing the product and and the acquisition and everything. I, I would say probably I wasted uh, half of my initial first year on on useless stuff and, and the other half was sensible, I would say. I started out by trying to write a business plan. I think that was a good idea to, to sort my thoughts. I started out by applying for accelerator funding with Climate Kick. That was uh, ultimately successful and was, I think, very important. Not for the money that we received. It was very little money in the very beginning, but for being part of the community and getting uh, some honest feedback. And I did get some uh, used computers from my old employer. I, I just installed them for them to be ready for a team to take on. I thought I should set up this environment for people to come in that, that wanted to potentially join. I set up a website. I talked a little bit to a marketing agency. All of that was useless, can come at a much later stage. I incorporated the company very early that would have also not been really, you know, that necessary. I tried to talk to potential clients. I wasn't very good at it because I had no no sales experience. I think I had a few contacts that were really interesting, but yeah, what do you do? And I think I was looking for co-founders um, a little bit, but not enough. And I spent zero time on finding investors. So I should have probably started that much earlier. Bottom line, I should have looked for investors earlier I should have worked more on the product and the, the rest was okay. Yes, of course. Uh, we also talked to a partner, from a Christian from Lexer, who provides legal services to startups. And we talked about the fact that sometimes if you 
don't even know whether there is demand. What is the point of setting up a, a company, putting the capital into it, spending money on the lawyers? First, you need to test it out and then worry about it and things like this. So going uh, from one milestone to another. Yeah. And so we talked about what brought you to this problem and uh, why you created uh, Carbon Delta. You talked about the customers and the sales experience that you didn't have at the beginning. But who are your target customers, really? Are these the asset managers, as you mentioned, or somebody else? Is this, if we put labels on it, is this, I guess, a B2B business, right? So our customers are asset managers, banks, Asset owners, those are the main target customers. Obviously, that's a huge potential customer base. The good thing is that in, in climate, stakeholders are very vocal about their activities. And so it's there are a lot of alliances. There are labels, associations. There are, let's say, trade events and shows, at least before the pandemic. Though. And defining a good set of potential target customers wasn't hard. I think one thing that we did well was that we had a strategy where we said, what we want to build is not something for the super sustainable asset managers or banks, the niche boutique businesses. What we want to do is we want to convince the largest asset managers in the world to use the approach we're proposing. And then we felt like there would be a trickle-down effect, a downstream effect of other smaller players adopting that same approach. And I think that worked really well. So we didn't do a broad, with a small team that's hard anyhow, we didn't do a broad exercise in contacting hundreds of organizations, but we had a, a long list and a short list, and the short list was like 10. And then out of the 10, there would be two or three that we would service almost like they were already our client, just to make sure that we onboard them. And yeah, I think that was a, a very good strategy. I see. And the tough question is always, how do you make money, right? Is this a subscription model or do you charge the implementation fee or pro project fee or consultancy? How, yeah. how does that work in this space? It's a pure subscription model. It's like, like Bloomberg or any other you buy data from a rating agency, the the customer sends over the portfolio and you send back the data. That's basically the, the business model. So you don't need to do any integration with the customers to uh, set it up, let's say, on an ongoing basis. Is that, uh, is that the case? I think it comes with a maybe sometimes not so visible element of education, customization, report mm -hmm. writing, and things like that. But the core business is really the data delivery business. I, right. I made a huge mistake in the beginning. To I was too honest when pitching in front of investors. And I always tried to wanted to portray it as it really is. And I said, it, 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 in the beginning specifically, it will come with a little bit of consulting in the sense that we just need to work with the client on a very bespoke basis. And that just, it, it was funny how it turned off a lot of investors. So I, I after some time, I, I avoided the word consulting and I said, is it pure data business? And essentially that's that's the core of what it is. All right, understood. I guess I know why, because my next question is about scaling up, right? So how did you scale up? Because if you talk to investors, they want to hear that uh, you are a product company. So you yeah. developed something that you can sell to 10 million other people and not that you have to customize and build something every single time and you're a consultant and therefore you can only make as much money 
as uh, you have consultants. There yeah. is a little bit of a scaling up, but n- nothing comparable to a product company or da- data business, as you said. So how did you grow? How did you scale up to where you are today? We scaled before the acquisition to around 30 to 40 clients, depending on how you count. So it's, it wasn't massive scaling. And the biggest boost in our scaling was through acquiring a project with the United Nations has the UNEPFI initiative. It's, it's basically an industry association of around 300 financial players and NGOs related to you know environmental issues and the finance industry. And uh, they frequently collaborate on, on uh, new issues, hot topics. And we won, for us, it was a huge deal, a climate you know, risk analysis project. And that basically, it, overnight, it gave us 25 new clients. And uh, from then on, it was a major question. And because we were such a technology-focused company, I think at some point we had seven employees and five with degrees in computer science. We felt like scaling the company in terms of a sales team wasn't really our big thing. I think that was also one one good reason for the acquisition. So that's where I wanted to go next, uh, because people, when they talk about incumbents versus startups, they often say who gets the innovation first or who gets the distribution first. That's going to be the winner, really, or that's really the angle. And sometimes the answer is to partner up, right? Yeah. Also, the incumbents, they may not have capabilities. They look at buy versus build analysis, and they say it's better to buy something. And we already have existing clients. We put it together, and we go from there. And plus, what you mentioned before is combining the the risk factors with the performance factors i think that's another potential for synergies for after the acquisition but if we dive into it why have you sold it and also you're still actively involved in the company so what is your role and how does that work within msci now we didn't really plan to sell the company to be honest but we were quite aggressively approached by a small set of potential buyers that were interested to get into this climate analytics space. And through that process, you obviously, if somebody approaches you and says, we're interested in acquiring you, you don't turn those people down, but you start thinking about it. And yeah, we, through comparing different acquisition partners, we had just come to the conclusion that MSCI was really an excellent acquisition partner. So number one was our team was very climate focused. So we thought about the question, which company would help us have the, the best impact on the climate crisis? And we felt like with MSCI, we could scale most quickly and have the biggest impact. But then also there was this question around which company would provide us the best setup. And MSCI, it, it, it was funny how all things matched and really harmonized with MSCI. On the one hand, they have a huge distribution network. Then they have a lot of bottom-up data of companies that we are now able to use in our model. And then while they were active also in the climate change metrics field, they weren't quite as advanced as we were. So there was little competition between the existing product line and our product. And then lastly, I think our data science approach is very much valued at MSCI, and we're going on a journey with the broader ESG team, a data science journey. So 
yeah, it really was, I, I guess, uh, really a fantastic decision. And that's, I think that's, it's not at all a given that you can foresee how things will go. But definitely the lesson learned is that when you sell a company, you need to compare different acquisition partners and you need to compare them with a really rational and open mind. And you need to uh, consider very different acquisition partners. I think we could have made a mistake here easily. And so what's your role within the company now and setup, if you can say, sometimes the banks say when we buy a boutique, they say we're going to ring fence you, nothing's going to change, just the accounting or HR will be done centrally. Otherwise, there won't be any interference or something. In other ones, you have integration, which is much more in-depth. So what's your setup, if you can say, and what's your role within the company? Yeah, my, my role is... Uh, global head of ESG models and research. So my role has broadened a little bit, also looking at, at some of the other ESG models, not only climate change, but I mostly run the the what has come out of Carbon Delta. It's now called the Climate Risk Center in Zurich. And, and we have grown since the acquisition roughly by a factor of two. It's really become a, a new organization uh, a new sub-team with MSCI. And obviously my role has changed in the sense that I am now much more involved in coordinating our climate work within the larger organization. And yeah, that's something new for me also in terms of career development in general. And that, that makes it very interesting and, and challenging. And I think that's a good thing. If the objective of the acquisition is to keep everything the same, then probably that's not going to happen and will probably lead to some dissatisfaction. Understood. So if we then follow up on your top, on your broader broader mandate now as well, and can you tell us a bit about how do you see potentially the opportunities in financial services or for fintechs to help combat the climate change? Where I'm coming from is, for example, maybe you're a potential entrepreneur, you're thinking about starting a sustainable finance business or green fintech and things like this, where do you think are the opportunities where you could make an impact and uh, you could actually have a business that is sustainable as well? So it's so good to see now with just some general developments, the power for sustainable electricity generation going down, for carbon markets to maybe pick up again, for more new technologies emerging, for the Paris Agreement being a North Star in the climate movement, for the public being more aware that there's this convergence between sustainable development and economic development. Basically, I think you're in, in, a, in a better position now than 10 years ago to do sustainable business that is profitable. And I think people have to realize that climate change will drive the fourth revolution. The low carbon economy will require us to decarbonize 50% of the economic activity that we're doing today. So that is the biggest transformation that our economy has ever seen. That transformation will come much quicker than people ever anticipate. This is normal with these kinds of revolutions. 
And it will be so, there are so many opportunities that you can look at when you're thinking about starting a business. It's really interesting. Looking back, it seems like everything's been invented. If you spend a little bit of creativity on what's going on, and I just want to mention a few um, aspects where I think enormous opportunities lie. One is definitely satellite data. We're not at all where we want to be with the analysis of satellite data. And I know there are a lot of people already working on satellite data, but I think this will require thousands of people innovating. Then IoT devices, I think we'll have many more IoT devices in the future. Google is already equipping their Google Street View cars with CO2 monitors. So that's that gives you just a, a glimpse into uh, what we're going to do in the future. And then, of course, the, the whole area of machine learning, which is not that new, but I think it can still be applied to a lot of data to create added value. So the spectrum of solutions is just that you can build is just enormous. Where are you on your journey? What are your plans for the rest of the year? Of course, we had quite some tough times in the last 12 months, and it's not over when you look around the world, of course. So what are your plans and milestones that you want to hit in the, let's say, this year and the years forward? Talking about the pandemic, obviously, we had closed our offices in Zurich and we're reopening them in July. And reopening them with a grown team is definitely going to be a challenge and a great opportunity to, to work together in a new working mode again, to showcase it to clients and to work with the, the whole industry on climate change. Switzerland has just launched a green fintech action plan, and we're involved in that. And I think we're trying to help the startup scene to create more carbon deltas and more focused on climate change. I think everybody's working towards COP26 the next uh, climate conference in Glasgow. That's going to be a major event for those of us who are you know, familiar with the, the Paris Agreement process. We know that there's a five-year review period of all the climate ambitions of all countries. And it was supposed to happen last year. Didn't happen because of the pandemic, but it's going to be happen. It's going to happen this year. So it's a big climate conference year. And I think the financial industry will play a huge role in this process. And we're looking forward to, to November to make progress on, on climate change on the global level. All right, brilliant. So just to wrap up, I'd like to ask you where can interested parties either reach you or to find out more about what you do at MSCI in terms of ESG, climate change, uh, risk analysis there. What's the best way to to find out more. There's a lot of information uh, on the internet. You, you can go to mci.com and, and study what we have on climate change. Uh, there are um, quite a number of videos out there on the MCI website or YouTube that you can find where I talk about climate change. And uh, if you're interested in something uh, in particular, you're welcome to contact me on LinkedIn. All right. Well, thank you very much, Oliver, and good luck. Thanks, Rudy. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.